to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, Marvel Snap Sicko Cat Bailey. That's right, this is no longer an RPG podcast. This is all about a card game that I will never stop playing. In fact, I've had to uh, limit myself to one game per hour just so that I make good decisions in my life. Joining me as always is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Cat. I am kind of sort of playing like on and off Marvel Snap, but it's also, a, a, since I'm not a huge Marvel fan person, it's just like, okay, yeah, cool. I got this this person from this locale that has like a floating island. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So I'm just like, yeah, it's a, I'm not exactly a sicko, more of a, uh, a follower, I suppose. Also joining us is uh, my equally lovely co-host, Eric Van Allen. I've played a lot of Marvel Snap. I've, I, I'm in pool two. If you know what that means, uh, I am. Uh, that's about level like two forty, I think. Um, Dang. Yeah, I've finished the collection the level. Pass. Yeah, yeah, collection level two forty. I'm uh, almost to the end of. The, I'm almost to that level. I'm like two hundred something. Yeah, um, I've got all the cards in pool one. Uh, I have multiple different decks set up with different play styles depending on what the missions are that I'm getting. I finished the battle pass. Uh, I'm starting to uh, prestige my cards. What rank? 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 Oh, I'm in like the 40s, I think. Every once in a while, I have to like end up dropping because I have a really bad habit of not retreating and in fact snapping, even though I'm probably going to lose because nobody (laughs) snaps at me. Like, I'm oh, snap right back, right back. Let's go, let's go. (laughs) um, There are these, there's this certain type of player. They always have the Miles Morales <laughs> avatar, and the first thing they do is snap, and then they yes, just start doing the, the little snap. They start doing the little icons, kind of pointing at you and stuff. And so you just mm-hmm. gotta mute them. And then my my hope always is to beat them because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. beating them is especially satisfying, or even better, like seeing that you're going to win because like a dramatic play just happened, and then just snapping and being mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. "I just won." You should quit now. My my favorite thing to do is even if I'm in a bad place and it's like kind of rocky and it's like kind of tight on all the lanes, the second the last card draws, don't look at it. Just immediately snap because your opponent's going to be like, <laughs> oh, they dress. They, they drew their card. They've got Onslaught. They've got Odin. They've got whatever. And I have made people retreat when I had just nothing in my hands. <laughs> Handful of Squirrel Girl, and they're like, I'm out, I'm out. <laughs> Isn't Squirrel Girl like a god or something like that? And she's squirrel- a low-tier card? Uh, yeah, Squirrel Girl is she pretty good early She two on. squirrels. Yeah, I think okay. she's good yeah. in like a kazoo deck. I like her in the kazoo deck. Did um, you just call her a, did she just say a kazoo deck? Yeah, that's what it's called. Uh, well, kazoo. Y- you have a bunch of like one drops and then you've got Kazar, um, ah. which is the the four drop four four that powers up all your oh, other Kazar. cost cars. Yeah. yeah. But then it's a mix with Zoo. So like Zoo deck. So it's Kazoo. kazoo. Yeah. Kazoo deck. I was thinking the great Kazoo. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> the the From... great Kazoo. Yeah. <laughs> I swear to God, we're not going to spend this entire episode talking about Marvel Snap. Just no, let's talk about it. the Flintstones instead. Let's talk about the Flintstones. <laughs> see how many dated references we can slam in here um i i'm actually going to make a reference to the the zeppo uh zeppo marks so just be just you watch during our (laughs) autumn of avatar segment um 
We'll also, of course, be talking about the recent interview that um, went up on IGN.com with Yoshi P over Final Fantasy 16 that stirred discourse um, in the gaming community on Friday. And our main topic today is going to be, because of our newfound Marvel Snap addiction, we're going to talk about card games and uh, games in general within RPGs. Specifically, we're going to talk about how Triple Triad and Blitzball are the greatest Blitzball sucks. Like, it's just, I'm sorry. Blitzball's good. Neither one of those is the best game in that list that I put there. There is one game that is the best game in that list, and we will talk about it when we get to it. (laughs) We'll get to all of that in just a hot second. But before we do that, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, thank you very much. Please leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. It brightens our day and uh, also helps the visibility for the podcast, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore Capot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Eric is at CMoosey. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where we have a lot of bonus content. This past week, uh, we had Shane Benhausen back on the show to do a special tribute to Ryoko Kodama, uh, her life and legacy. We talked about Magic Knight Ray Earth and Skies of Arcadia and her work, uh, her early work on the various arcades at Sega. It was a great conversation, wasn't it? Not it was. Yeah, we had, it was a great one. I'm glad we had the... It's not like an extremely long podcast, but that's perfect. It's just like an hour of us talking about her uh, with Shane Bettenhausen, who, of course, is an expert on all things Fancy Star. Um, so I'm glad we got an opportunity to do that, and he was able to join us. And it's definitely a nice, kind of a sad listen, but definitely a, li- a, a good listen. So give, give it a li- I was going to say, give it a listen. That's a little redundant, but do it anyway. Do it as I do as I say there. <laughs> do as I say. Subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash pluggodpod, where, uh, yeah, uh, we also just recently released uh, the free uh, Pantheon of the Blood God for Fantasy Star to our yes, listeners right. as well. It's on the free feed um, in tribute to Kodama. So a lot to listen to. And we are coming up this week on our Pokemon Black and White Pantheon, uh, just in time for Pokemon Scarlet. And Violet. Oh, God, so, God, I can't really believe it's almost soon. time. Oh. <laughs> yep, it's that time. Oh, we, we, we've me. got a lot to cover this month, actually. It's yeah. going to be a very, very busy month here on Acts of the Blood God, despite the holidays getting started. Okay, time now to talk about what we have been playing, our sacrifices to the Blood God, and let's just keep right on talking about Marvel Snap. <laughs> um, I'm currently <laughs> level 42. Okay. So if you haven't been playing Marvel Snap and you're wondering, what the heck are we talking about? Marvel Snap is a card game featuring characters from the Marvel comic books. And I guess you could say sort of the MCU. They definitely have MCU characters, but it's primarily the comic books. Uh, That includes Mm -hmm. Spider-Man, the like Carnage, like the Sony, uh, the ones that went over to Sony. Includes the X-Men and Wolverine and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think the advantages that it has over Hearthstone is that it's very fast. It's very easy to understand. The decks are very slim and easy to understand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, unlike Hearthstone, which is about cracking packs, sometimes yes. like 200 packs a season, it's mm-hmm. just overwhelming. You're, you're just opening packs and paying to win in this game. This game, actually, you kind of earn a lot more. There's still a grind to it. Maybe some people have complained about slow progression. I totally get it. I've been feeling pretty good about my rewards uh, to this point, and I've been enjoying the decks and the flexibility that I've been able to have to this point. There's a lot of playability. Um, 
The thing that I've been doing is avoiding meta decks entirely. I have not been reading up on any of the strategies. I've been just working on trying to find a strategy for myself so that I can um, kind of learn the game a lot more, a lot better. And mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm doing yeah. a lot better as a result. I got up into gold and I'm kind of plugging away, like just continuing to rise up the ranks. And I'm like, well, maybe I can make platinum. We'll see. We'll see. So uh, I've been having a great time with it. Maybe too great of a time. It's in uh, FIFA sicko territory for me. How do you at least mm-hmm. give it on FIFA? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, this is what friendship broke you ended off with FIFA. FIFA. <laughs> now Marvel Snap is my new friend. <laughs> I yeah. I like can't emphasize enough. We talked a little bit about this last week. I was just starting to play it last week, and and I think I accidentally lured Mike into his doom with it. Um, oh, that's that's because Mike that is the right most there. Mike Williams game. Uh, doom, but it's uh, it is such an incredibly built card game. I think it is very smart. It uses the digital format specifically very, very well. Uh, The idea that you can do all these wild things, like have a card for Agatha Harkness that will take over and make weird plays and then play itself on a turn. So it was Agatha all along. That was the (laughs) surprise. Uh, And just all kinds of just bonkers stuff that is not possible with a tabletop game uh they're doing here and granted like that was the power of hearthstone right was that hearthstone can do things that a normal standard card game cannot do but i think where hearthstone goes right or where hearthstone went wrong for me i should say and marvel snap goes right is that it is so focused on playing the player across from you and not playing the deck that you are holding Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, i have won so many games where I did not get. So I, my favorite deck right now is is my onslaught deck. Uh, I call it slots, and <laughs> it's I. My goal is to get Namor in the right hand lane because Namor, when he's by himself, gets buffed up. Right, if he's the only card in the lane, he gets a huge buff. And then I put Claw in the middle lane and claw always puts extra points into that right hand lane where Namor is sitting right and then you put onslaught on top of claw and now you basically have two lanes locked down with huge point values that is my like coup de gras of that deck right but i've had to tweak and mess around with it so much to create other synergies that i have to be able to pilot that deck if i don't get that synergy right and so much of that is about being able to eke out wins even if I'm not getting that synergy, I just have to play better than my opponent. I just have to play smarter than my opponent. I think the locations do a great job of encouraging that by forcing you to not just fall into a routine, which is something that I think you look at Artifact, you look at Gwent, two games that I think are very comparable to Marvel Snap. Uh, I think that's where they fell a little bit short is you could get into rhythms with them. You could get into like, oh, I'm going to play my deck plan. And it's everybody will play your, the same cards every yes. single time. Yeah. Same yeah. opening. You're getting to the point where it's like chess openings where you like know what their turn order is. You know what they're doing and you just know the pressure points that you're trying to hit versus your own pressure points. And 
Snap feels so tuned to just playing the game that is in front of you and playing the player <laughs> that is in front of you. And I think the locations are a huge part of that, like a major reason. And the fact that they shuffle so often and they have the kind of hot spots where certain ones, like when Bar Sinister was really big and it was like, oh, Bar Sinister is like popping up in every match. So now everybody's kind of making decks to take advantage of the location bar sinister which when you play one card there it fills the the location with copies of that card and so people were coming up with cool synergies to put there to add into it and then when bar sinister rotates out of the hot spot now it's something new and people are kind of working around that i think there is so much mastery here at work like genuinely and it Again, this is from a team called Second Dinner, which was founded by some of the former leads at Hearthstone, Ben Brody and such. Um, ah, I didn't know that part. And <clears throat> I think you can see the the work that went into it. The secret of Marvel Snap is the art. I don't even oh, care. So good. I don't even care about Marvel. And mm -hmm. this game somehow made me care enough about marvel that i literally bought one of the variants i spent money mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on it that's uh that's pretty darn impressive for a card game like this um I, i'm not gonna bore you by like going through my deck um at length i will say that from a rpg fan perspective um i really liked competitive pokemon back in the day and this kind of hits the same feeling to me the the tactical uh, first of all the enjoyment of building a team yeah constructing mm -hmm. a deck mm -hmm. is similar to me to building a a, a party mm -hmm. in an rpg um and thinking about all of the possibilities and everything and how all of the characters synergize using all of their special traits using their stats to my advantage and things like that um and then having a good flow uh, from getting from one to six. I like how fast the matches go. It's actually kind of mm -hmm. dangerous. Yeah. If uh, FIFA mm -hmm. is cocaine, then this game is definitely crack. <laughs> um, what do you put them together? <laughs> <laughs> playing FIFA and Marvel Snap yeah. at the same mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Have a heart attack. Well, that's that's just uh, an overdose. Right FIFA Snap, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, a very enjoy. Uh, it really hits a very elemental part of my brain. And I think that's why um, it's held on to me. Um, yeah. And it doesn't feel that complicated, certainly not compared mm -hmm. to um, Gwent or a game like, um, like artifact. And in fact, I was saying that in a game like Hearthstone, constructing a deck feels, feels really overwhelming, but yeah, mm -hmm. only having what 12 in this 12 game? cards. That's it. Very yep. manageable. Yeah. It's, it's clear that they sat down and thought, okay, but how do we make, how do we just make the card game better? Right. How do we do, how do we fix Hearthstone? And, you know, and all the drops feel so much more significant because of it. Like it is rare that I'm putting a card down and I feel like I'm just putting a body on the board to have a body on the board the way I do in hearthstone sometimes right like when you're playing paladin and you just hit that two mana tap to pop up that one one because you're like well i need a body on the board like there's not a lot of that happening in marvel snap every drop feels very important and placed and and weighty to a degree marvel snap it's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> tell your friends nadia what have you been playing uh i finished you like chronicles 3 Woo! Uh, what you did 
Yeah, finally oh, finished it. I, I turned clocked. that game on the yeah. other day. Yeah. <laughs> good job. I, I turned it on. Several hundred hours to go, but you're growth. good. Well, uh, a couple things. A couple things. Uh, first of all, I went back to my Switch and I was like, wow, it's so light because I've been playing on yeah, the Steam imagine. Deck recently. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, it's so light and thin. I love this. This is amazing. Look at the screen. Holy shit. Um, so that was one thing. My other thing was uh, I I started playing and I was like, this is nice. I'm running through the overworld. I'm killing some people. I think I remember how this game works. I, remember, I think I remember who these people are. And then the cutscenes started, and I was watching an episode of Avatar, so I kind of like put it on my leg, and the the I was kind of hoping that the cutscene would end, but it kept going, and and going and going and going. I mean, it's and a story like, heavy game. That's the whole point of it. <laughs> oh no! I was like, oh no! I need to pay attention to it. But what's Beatrix <laughs> doing? You can uh, pause cutscenes though, which is really handy. It's true. I, well, at a certain point, I had to turn off the switch because I was just like, "Look, there's too much going on." It's clearly they're having I a very important watch conversation. The Avatar and play Xenoblade at the same time. Like, why would you even try? That is so weird to me. That's, that's that is that's a, the fault of this game because I can play true. Pokemon. I can play Pokemon or Bravely Default to or a lot of RPGs no problem while watching a show and perfectly enjoy them. We should make a list of mm. the most. The best RPGs to play when you're multitasking and watching a TV show. We'll just call them cat RPGs. This is why mm. I like Marvel Snap. The problem Snap. with that is I'd say my number say one this. take is Dragon Quest Builders 2. I, I was oh, going to yeah? say is this Slay the Spire. Oh, That's sure. just the list. Slay the Spire is a great one. <laughs> yeah. Slay the Spire. Um, I, I already mentioned Pokemon. There's like no story there. This is why I like RPGs with not a lot of story. Because usually mm. I'm not listening to the music. And uh, I'm not reading the uh, the actual. I'm not paying much attention to the story. I'm watching something Sun and else. Moon had like a perfect amount of story, I think. Like yeah, Pokemon I, Sun I, and I Moon. Agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and they didn't bring that amount back because they're cowards. But yeah, so I, I finished Xenoblade Chronicles three. Really enjoyed it. Did the after. There's like some not exactly vital, but you should do it stuff like after the game. I did that. Had a great time. Okay, great. Started Persona five. Uh, runs great on the Switch, no problems there. I'm not too deep into the game, thank God for fast forward because I do not want to go through all the text in Kamoshida's mm-hmm. house again. Mm-hmm. I realize now that game, even though it starts off boom, like on like the first leg, it keeps going and going. It has a point where it just hits a wall, and I feel like we can visit Kamoshida's palace the first time and get that done, and not have to go back three times before we're finally allowed to say, okay, now we are completing Kamoshida's palace. So I'm doing that. And I uh, I bought Harvest Stella. I haven't played a whole lot of it yet, but I am really digging the vibe a lot. However, I'm all screwed up in terms of how like prices go for American games. But what is it over there? Fifty nine ninety nine, sixty nine. Something like oh, that. Nice. Yeah. It's like it's seventy bucks. Price, it's a full price game, and that might be a hard sell for some people. And I hate saying that because I really hate devaluing games like that. But I understand people have different budgets. I feel like this would have been absolutely perfect as like a $30, $40 game, somewhere in that range. But it's the time of year too, right? The like time there's of a year, lot yeah. of big games coming out right now. But I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm so glad that Square Enix is doing these, you know, not to disparage them, but B-tier games. You know what I mean? Like the kind of more hmm. relaxed, more, uh, you know, indie content sort of games that... Uh, you, you get on occasion with RPGs and they're really putting like a lot of work into these games, but then they don't promote them like, or, or they, they give them price tags, like full price. And it's like, 
uh, do you want them to fail? Or I, I don't understand. I, I hope not because Harvestell is like a really nice game so far. They're they're really cool because I feel like it's also where Square Enix is doing some cooler, like more unexpected things. Like obviously one of the big stories coming out of Harvestella is that it's the first game where uh, Square is letting you play as a non-binary character. Yeah, you can play as and, non-binary. And that's, that's cool. You can just set that option. And like that's interesting to see in an RPG from Square, um, especially when that Welcome news is Welcome to 2022. Around, yeah. Um, and it's. Yeah, I look at things like Dio Field and, and stuff like that. And part of me is wondering, you know, like, are they kind of like test driving some things? Are they seeing like so. what's what? Who's who's putting the good stuff out? You know, what is what is this the state of Square Enix right now? You know, the same way that maybe you, I don't know, flush some vinegar through a Keurig machine to clean it <laughs> out, you know, like put the water through and see how clear it's coming out the other side. But um, it's. There, there are so many B games, uh, for lack of a better term, like there are so many RPGs coming out this fall that feel like they're not getting the push from Square Enix. And I'm not I getting any push. A large part of that is probably because most of it is being saved up for Forspoken and then Final Fantasy 16 and whatever is coming next for Final Fantasy 14. Uh, like Square has some big stuff. I mean, even Final Fantasy 7 Remake Part 2. What, yeah. What's it called again? Rebirth? Rebirth? Final Fantasy VII I always Rebirth. confuse them between Rebirth and Reunion. Reunion is Crisis Core. I remember that one. Right. Um, oh, so okay. then Rebirth, Rebirth is two. Reading, writing, yeah. and arithmetic. Final Fantasy mm-hmm. arithmetic. Rukas has the point that Square feels like it's been pushing budget titles as full big titles at that full big price, such as Valkyrie Elysium, Harvestella, and Dio Field. Was Valkyrie saying, Elysium full price? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I well, wouldn't recommend I think that. It's, <laughs> I think it's in a PlayStation 2 mindset when you mm. used to get those mid-tier games, but they would always be at full price because mm. that I mean, is you how we got Dragon Guard. We mm. came from you the fun era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you, they would come out full priced initially and then get rapidly devalued through the secondary market. Yeah. And that's yeah. not a thing anymore, obviously. So now we just wait for sales. So yeah. just waiting for uh, the the summer or Christmas sales to pick up these games at a at a at a bargain, what a savings! Uh, I <clears throat> something else that Ruka was saying um, would rather give Disco Elysium my complete focus and then say Avatar my complete focus, which is a fair point. It takes a really special game to completely capture my attention these days, I think. Elden Ring did that. Uh, I was fully, I was fully, uh, it had all of my attention when I was playing it. And I was really, really enjoying it in that time. Uh, Disco Elysium is another one. Uh, Witcher 3 is another one, honestly. Really? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> That like... game really had my attention main quest for sure but long stretches of those side quests i was listening to podcasts and stuff because i was like i can just read whatever's happening in these side quests (laughs) there was so many times where i was just really enjoying walking running riding around on the open world um Mm -hmm. randomly looking for things i actually found the side quests really good um, in fact, side are quests good. are They're one great. of the most praised elements of uh, The Witcher 3 in terms of the writing and everything. 
Everybody mm. wants to do the Witcher 3 side quests these days. Actually, the, the multi-part ones. They're little side stories. I like that. Yeah. I know uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 has a whole bunch. Of that That's all the side quests are, basically. The, yeah. um, the, uh, some of them are really freaking good, like main story content, practically, quality stuff oh, yeah. in the side quests. It's really strange. I think that... Here's what's throwing me. Okay. About Xenoblade Chronicles 3. <laughs> no a game one really Persona... grinds my gears. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to in a British accent. You know, really, like a uni's, uh, uni's you accent. You know what really grinds my gears? Fine, <laughs> persona 5 uh <laughs> it's just completely wow just thanks for derailing me guys i had a point to make you can make Luca it <laughs> grinds her xeno gears you know what grinds my xeno gears persona 5 royal when i'm playing it um it's more like a visual novel and that you have the little text boxes so mm-hmm. it's easy for me mm-hmm. to glance up and down between the story I can read and then watch without any problem. I'm conditioned to do that because I'm used to staring at my phone all mm-hmm. the time. Ever so often, Persona 5 Royal will have an actual cutscene, but most of the time, it's text boxes. Um, when it comes to a game like Xenoblade Chronicles 3, it has fully animated cutscenes, mm-hmm. uh, a lot like mm-hmm. a lot like The Witcher, actually, um, and that's great. I think that it the really high quality high quality voice acting, high quality writing. And it demands my attention, but what's really throwing me is that it's on the Nintendo Switch, which I'm used to playing portably. Yeah. So I work best with Xenoblade Chronicles 3 when it's plugged into my television, um, yeah. which means that now it's a game that I have to find time to like actually focus in on as opposed to Animal Crossing New Horizons, which I could play while watching the entirety of True Blood and put 500 hours into it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because yeah. um, yeah. I do think of my Switch games as kind of... I, I think of my Switch game experience as separate from my PlayStation 5 game experience, which PlayStation 5, okay, my most of my attention's over here because I have to look at the TV. Switch is like, da-da-da-da, okay, I'm putting this down, looking at my phone. Da-da-da-da, okay, I'm going to put this down, look at my phone or look at the TV. So, yeah, so I understand where you're coming from there. I, I play nothing on my PlayStation these days, like everything has moved to the switch or the steam deck and I'm fully converted on steam deck. I just got Harvestella. I didn't even install it to my gaming PC. I just installed it directly to my steam deck. Cause I know that's where I want to play it. So like, yes, I, I, yeah, I am playing so few things on the actual TV these days. I am a second screen gamer for sure. It so can I get be, that. it can be really satisfying to throw something on the big TV nestle into your comfy couch with a blanket uh, and just have the the lights on in like kind of atmospheric mode and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. focus right uh yeah for sure very enjoyable unfortunately my main consoles are all plugged into my computer setup as opposed to my television so a little harder for me right um well when i wasn't playing Marvel Snap. Uh, I was doing an interview this week, and I, I did an interview with uh, Yoshi P um, and company at Final F- for Final Fantasy 16. And the pitch was uh, lore and the world. Let's talk about the world of Final Fantasy 16 and some of the themes and everything, the exploration. And I was like, I sure, okay. Uh, so I asked a lot of questions, kind of along those lines. I was curious about 
some of the most recent trailer and everything. But I also noticed that there was a fair amount of discourse around all the characters are kind of white so far. And mm-hmm. uh, even in kind of the desert realm and everything where they could have made it. So Final Fantasy 12. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. literally yeah. white <laughs> under the yeah. sun. Cool, cool. So, you know, I brought it up and uh, he gave me uh, he gave me an answer along the lines of um, our design concept from the earliest stages of development has always heavily featured medieval Europe, incorporating historical, cultural, political, and anthropological standards that were prevalent at the time when deciding on a setting that was best suited to the story we wanted to tell, the story of a land beset by the blight. We felt that rather than create something on a global scale, it was necessary to limit the scope to a li- single landmass, one geographically and culturally isolated from the rest of the world in an age without airplanes, television, or telephones. So he's saying that they created fantasy Europe, and in this fantasy world, it was necessary to, uh, I suppose, fit the historical norms in short He's trotting out the Kingdom Come Deliverance argue, argument. I was going to say, I was going to say, CD Projekt Red, are they on the phone about you know Square Enix <laughs> using their their Witcher excuses? Yeah, um, it's the same excuse. Except that gets it's in around. a fantasy. It's in a fantasy world and not in a quote unquote real life version of Eastern Europe. And do they like? Okay, they said airplanes, of course. But I mean, I, I said this on Twitter. And I've said this before when we're talking about the exact same subject. Do we? Does nobody study Othello in school, which is all about or, a black or, man or, in medieval? Yeah, or just history in general. Or like, history, like um, Northern Africa. Like you had major convergences of oceans, major um, rivers, seas. Of course, people are going to sail. Are there boats in this universe or not? If, okay, we're talking about a world where everything's surrounded by huge mountain peaks that can't be traversed or whatever. Okay, fine. Maybe, but this doesn't strike me as this that kind of world. Like, I mean, to be honest with you, I think it's a fascinating world so far. Like, I love the implementation of the giant ass crystals into these cities. Like, I think that's so cool. But I guess having a black person is a, a just a fantasy too far. A fantasy it's, too final, if you will. It's like <laughs> it, what hits me about it is there's like three different reasons that all feel very separate from each other in in the response that was in the the interview right and 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 part of it was like oh well you know they don't have planes or anything this is all on one landmass and also we were really basing it off of europe and so that's like where we went from and also you know it's just you know modern modern views you know it may not adhere to modern views and all of that really never answers the question of like where do you think pigment comes from <laughs> like yeah. like I know, where, right where do you think like like the, and and people have pointed this out on twitter and there have been some excellent uh folks out there from the games industry that have been speaking much more eloquently on this than certainly i can um but what it just strikes me that like they have this desert town that is so i mean just so like the architecture looks very much like a mosque and things like that. And it's just, you look at that and then you go like, how do you, how do you take inspiration from the buildings that are there and the architecture that's there? But when you look at the people, it's just one note, like one thing. And I, it's something I I've been thinking about a lot with role-playing games in, in general recently is because the idea of like, 
I think role playing games can get caught up in the idea of capturing the look of a place, but not necessarily how those things come to be the material, the human aspects that create them what they are. And all of that is to say, like, if this is some sort of honest answered, at least, you know, points that they weren't really thinking about this when they were in development. And now they're kind of like, oh, we should have thought about that. (laughs) (laughs) And it's maybe honestly revealing in that way. Or if this is some uh, canned answer that they have, it's not a good one. It's not a, no, it's (laughs) really not. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if that is the direction they've decided to spin it, I mean, I just want to point out that Yoshi P answered this one personally. And Mm -hmm. it's evident to me that they spent a lot of time workshopping that answer. You kind of came across as a workshop answer. Yeah, like really trying to get the right answer. And it's pretty surprising to me how off base uh, it ended up being. The the rationalization is, uh, I I think they deserve criticism. Oh, for sure. I do. So they do. And it's too bad. It's funny to me because on a biological level, just like like Eric was saying, like the distribution of melanin and everything like that is so fascinating. Like it's (laughs) how do you think people work? (laughs) I mean, it's very, very simple. Again, on a biological level, on a cultural, religious level, God knows. But like these people were close to the sun. Therefore, they have darker skin because that protects them. Vitamin D is very, very, very important. And that's why my dumbass ancestors left nice, warm Africa to go to europe and ireland where it's cold and and cloudy and that's why i have this white ass skin so i can please give me the vitamin d please i'm begging you on the plus side i can digest cow's milk because i come from a land where you know you could only get vitamin d through cow's milk pretty much but it's just yeah i don't know I, that's just me rambling i have I think no it's idea really... what nadia is talking about right now really yeah nadia nadia started somewhere and i was like i'm on board and then by the end of it she was like cow's milk and i was like where are we again <laughs> <laughs> no it's um, just saying that like okay story short is basically evolutionary biology is pretty fascinating it's yeah it's what i was saying that like worlds are not just the buildings that are in them but the people and, exactly. and the cultures that, that form within them and that are informed by the land and the location and things like that and all of that just doesn't feel like it's captured by the idea of just saying well we read a book on europe exactly <laughs> and, yeah and like it that had pictures it it doesn't it doesn't hold any amount of water for me and it reminds me of a lot of the stuff that was talked around like final fantasy 15 when it came yeah, out when flashbacks people were like wow you know this is I, look, I love me a road trip with the boys. Don't get me wrong, but when it when it comes to the women in that game, it's a completely different story. <laughs> and uh, when people pointed that out, they were just like, women. "Oh, well, it's it's boys in Final for Fantasy." The boys. <laughs> and you, I mean, I'm going to say could... something nice about Final Fantasy VII remake. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VII remake. Um, there's so much more intentionality. And it's so much and it's so much more coherent world. And surprise, surprise, it has a major black character in it and women. And modern Final Fantasy really seems to struggle with that for some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know why exactly, but hey, maybe take some cues from one of your most popular games ever in Final Fantasy Seven. Just I think thought. there is some controversy in seven though, seven and remake with the way Barrett is portrayed. Uh, I'm not Obviously, that yeah, that demographic I know that. Really say one but or the other, but Barrett there, is a nuanced character who, you know, he exists. 
That's true. He does exist. You got to give him that one he up. He deserves and criticism. Sure. You know what's yeah. cool? There's a lot. You Kiros. can break him down, but he's there. Kiros from 8 was really cool. I liked him a lot. I like... I, I think there's a lot to be discussed in the in the margins of this and in the like minutia of this. And I'm sure I we're, we're probably going to be looking to doing a main show topic on this at some point as well. But um, is that your cat who just walked? By? Yes. Don't worry about it. He's just doing his thing. <laughs> okay. um, he's I, I, I'm sure we're going to talk about this at length at some point, but uh, it is just a general thing, not even just with Square Enix, but with RPGs in terms of just acknowledging what fantasy can be because i think yeah for sure by some well, extent tied so heavily to lord of the rings yes and D. Yeah. and, and uh... all it does is perpetuate this idea and this this notion that often gets like turned into very angry like virulent talk of oh you know you have people who look like this so you're just going woke and stuff like yeah. that yeah and and it, it creates norms that I think can end up being harmful to people and and can end up, you know, reflecting not necessarily what the breadth of good fantasy writing can be. And mm-hmm. we've seen time and time again how good fantasy writing can be and how this stuff can grow. And so when we see something big come along, especially like Final Fantasy, which is one of the biggest names in RPGs, and it's just giving us this again, it it's a bit of a gut punch. It doesn't it doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel like we've moved forward. So no, it doesn't. Um, yeah, yeah, that's about some of my thoughts on it. My some I think this ties into Square just really struggling with world building for some reason in the latter era of Final Fantasy. Not a lot of intentionality in the way it goes. And they pick up elements of the real world, but then it it becomes a jumbled mass of conflicting elements and the seeming lack of thought that went into the world building of final fantasy 16 maybe is uh, another example of that, unfortunately, but go check out the full re- interview. It's worth mm-hmm. reading. I think I, I, we do talk about a bit about um, it's one of its main uh, female protagonists who I believe will be uh, Jill. And we mm. uh, talk about how the, the actual world will work, the side quests and that kind of thing. Uh, for what it's worth, like, I still look forward to playing it. I'm just. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you can criticize something and still. <laughs> sure. It's not yeah. the greatest sit on Earth. It's it not great. It took it took the wind out of my sails a little bit. It, it, I think it's like cyberpunk and the ads all over again. It's the oh, Witcher right. when this stuff came yeah. up. It's like. It, it is really hard to find. Again, we were talking before the podcast. It's like a Street Fighter match, right? Like you can get a win. You can get a really exciting win, but it's rare that you ever get that perfect. You put that P on the board and that's just what it is, is like it can be really cool and really exciting. And then there's just like there's still a little bit of that health bar missing and that's just going to sit in your <laughs> gut for a while and it doesn't feel good. And it's, you know, you you want us to be advancing towards the point where that's not that little caveat that we have on everything. For sure. Truly. All right. It's time now for a series of random encounters. If you're an athlete, you know, the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same Jersey as you to be your best. Every time you step on the field, that's why there's no vape in team. 
When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Final Fantasy 16 is about 95% complete, and the release date has been announced for the end of 2022, according to an interview with Famitsu. Uh, demos also planned. Uh, Square Enix announced an NFT project called Symbiogenesis. Uh, so apologies to all of our Parasite Eve hopefuls. It's not oh, going to be yeah, happening. That's sad. A new Deus Ex is reported to be in very, very early development as Embracer closes Onoma, the studio formerly known as Square Enix Montreal, maker of the Go games. RIP to that. Uh, Dwarf Fortress is getting a Steam launch in December to ruin my life. EA <laughs> Inc.'s three game, a three-game deal with Marvel, starting with Iron Man. Nibel has left Twitter. Twitter yeah. implodes. Twitter. Coincidence. <laughs> Twitter loses half its content in one day. I, I just gotta say, is this it for Twitter? Because wow, I mean, I I've been on Twitter since two thousand and nine. Yes, yeah, and I'm actually feeling a little morose right now because morose, feeling a little morose. Morose, yeah, yeah. Because I I use it for sports. I use it for journalism. I use it for networking and getting in touch with people. It's a I very use it big networking tool yeah big people don't realize thing, that great for news yes uh so much news gets pushed around on a tweet and taking that away just leaves a huge huge hole i think I, there's a lot that i hated about that site yeah don't get me wrong but what a bummer yeah. it really is and it, what's really kind of disappointing and frustrating about the whole thing is that here's this rich idiot who can ruin a thousand billion lives because he wants to have a temper tantrum so f all of us who have to depend on this platform for the, our our jobs, our livelihood. But no, Unky Musk said it has to be this way. I guess. L- let me put this forward to y'all. Have y'all seen the movie Summer Wars? It's an yes, anime. Yes, it's a great movie. movie. This I have been thinking about that movie this whole week because the the summary of it for those of you at home who may not have seen it, you should watch it. It's a very very good movie. It's it's about what would happen if all of society basically used Facebook not just as a social media tool, but as the thing that was like your keys to get into. Say you're like a mm-hmm. public utility person. You have control of the public utilities through your Facebook account. Those are your login credentials, things like that. What if everybody used their social media as their imprint on society? What would happen if that fell apart? Like what would happen if that came apart? And in the movie, it's because of virus attacks it and anime reasons. But like... I've been thinking a lot about how many institutions are built on Twitter. And and like you said, Kat, like I had some of my earliest freelance opportunities came about because I just DM somebody. <laughs> and that was the yeah, beauty of same. Twitter. And 
seeing this fall apart now is a bummer because now a lot of people under me who are coming up now aren't going to have that option available to them. And this thing that existed in many terrible, awful ways and facilitated a lot of harassment and, and hate was also a really good way of networking and meeting other people who did this work and, and who had like-minded uh, wanted to share their interests with each other. And yeah, it just all goes kablooey and a bunch of people lose their jobs because someone got ratioed on Twitter. <laughs> like, That's it exactly is. it. It is. Um, okay. So my place of business, IGN.com. Do you know how many Twitter followers they have? Oh, like three mil. They have 9.4 million oh followers. Oh my God. Ooh. On Twitter. Wow. That's impressive. They've been <laughs> steadily <laughs> building it up over all these years. If you have to start over on an entirely new platform, think about all the money that gets lost. God, no kidding. Mm-hmm. That. Mm-hmm. How, a not insignificant amount of our traffic comes from Twitter. For sure. I mean, Google, Google as well. But when I see things popping off, the, not... Not a number of times it's been because of Twitter. So, well, I was going to say Twitter is also a place where you can link things, and that is like the same reason that Facebook is was useful, and I mean is still, but for different reasons, people largely just don't use Facebook anymore. But like TikTok is a good example, where like TikTok, old people use Facebook. Sure, yeah, they they do now. No, (laughs) I'm not joking. (laughs) When social teams are deciding what are to put stuff, they'll usually put the things that it will appeal to older folks, like in their 40s. And like I'm sure me. when Ford hit the streets, there were still some horses around too. But <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's kind of surreal to watch Meta and Twitter collapsing in real time. At the same yes. time. <laughs> yes, at the same I mean, time. They dominated social media for so long. They were so important. And now it really feels like a new era, like a, a, a new stage. Uh, I don't like, know what that uh, stage looks like. Maybe, it yeah. might not be a good one. I don't know about TikTok. Complete it's anarchy. It's not moderated very well. No, no it's it certainly not. is not. No, no, it's not. As someone who is on TikTok pretty frequently, it is not moderated at all. And you know what? Is that part of the appeal? Absolutely. But um, it, it is chaos energy. And my point about TikTok was like, yeah, you can see fun videos on it, but is that going to link back to written work very well? No, not really. You kind of have to convert the content to make it stick on TikTok. So like, where does that leave a lot of the internet in this day and age? And what does that do to the content is obviously something we in the media think about all the time. So the algorithm is frightening on TikTok. Um, it is. It oh, is. Yeah. I don't have a TikTok account because I don't want to be subject to that algorithm. I don't want it telling me things about myself that I don't want to know. So <laughs> I never knew I had this kink. Damn. I, I think it's really time for Zanga to come back. I think it's and not an insignificant number of transgender people found out that they were trans because of like TikTok. Really? I didn't oh, know yeah, that. Because uh-huh. they'll be like scrolling, they'll be like, why is it serving me trans content? That's weird. Oh. Oh God. <laughs> What does that say about my feed then? Because I'm going to be real with y'all and expose myself here. I am in a weird part of TikTok trapped with other dudes like me. And we all don't know how we're in lesbian TikTok, but we are. (laughs) (laughs) I faved one just the other night. That was a dude. I'm not kidding you. Like we could be brothers. And he's sitting there like, 
I have been in lesbian TikTok for six months. I don't know how I got here and I don't know what this is. Now I'm signing up. I want to know what it's going to say about me. It's going to put me in like the (laughs) chaos realm of TikTok, whatever the hell that is. The shadow realm of TikTok. Yu-Gi-Oh is going to be like, hi, let's play a card game. What the hell? Like those are those are my top three ones. It's that, and then it's like people falling and hitting their face on things. Well, that's good. That's a good algorithm. Yeah, and then for for a while, I'll be again very transparent, and it was poop jokes. But uh, now it's it's a lot of the um, people who dress up in costume parties and then talk into the phone, and they're like. I'm Mario and I think Donkey Kong is getting the drunkest tonight. And then like yeah. someone dressed as Luigi comes in and they're like, I'm Luigi and I think Peach is getting the drunkest tonight. And then some dude stumbles in in the worst chain chomp costume you've ever seen. He's like, Oh, chain chomp, bark, bark, Donkey Kong's getting drunk. <laughs> Walks out. And it's good content. It's good. <laughs> this is what happens when you raise a generation on those really weird YouTube videos where like Elsa's getting pregnant and spider-man is there five times for some reason like and they all got messed up and they all went to tiktok this is our fault this is we, we failed people generation. using their ipad to just rapid fire edit clips together yes. yeah in ways that seem nonsensical but works and i guess the that super rapid fire humor makes mm-hmm. Gen Z Only has a problems. little sense to me. It's it's like it's like Dada humor, you know. Like that's it's a lot of the same stuff that like Bo Burnham, like modern Bo Burnham, appeals to, and like Nathan Fielder especially appeals to. I mean, we could do a whole episode about Dadaism. We should do Dadaism in RPGs. That'd be fun. <laughs> Talk about Undertale and Earthbound. I'm calling. Yeah. I'm calling it audible. This is an interesting <laughs> topic to me. I'd rather talk about this. You'd rather Let's talk go. about TikTok. <laughs> Let's. I do think we are having a moment here. I, we are having a moment here. I do think it's interesting. Um, social media, for better or worse, has impacted every aspect of our lives for 15 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Twitter has mm-hmm. been one of the main pillars of that. Um, you could argue, you could, you could joke about how the only people who actually use Twitter are the media and ro- and bots. But okay, for God's it. sake, Twitter flipped an entire election in 2016 so i think that it it matters it's mattered certainly to the video game industry it's mattered to rpgs how stuff goes viral because of twitter you know Mm. how many how so many games like indie games get popular because people share gifts around Mm -hmm. on twitter right so i mean if you lose that what comes next i have no idea I just have to give a shout out to Gen Z's nihilism because I absolutely adore it. Like I grew up, Cat, you probably too, where like humor was like, oh, I hate my wife and and you know all that that dumb stuff. The comedians up on the stage. Meanwhile, some twelve year old uh, wins a contest for like designing a voting pin, and he makes this horrible monster with a face and like you know spider face, and it says, "I voted," and that was he submits this as an entry and it's like i thought it was pretty funny and i'm like you're you're right that is actually really funny that's actually really cool that you did that like i i just kids shared are so weird in, these days i just shared in the stars of destiny chat because you reminded me cat uh the night that georgia flipped and went blue was the same night that castiel and supernatural got sent to super hell oh wait did that happen <laughs> it's the that same night, night and so oh there God. was an infamous post on Tumblr that was, I can't believe Castiel went to super hell to turn Georgia blue. 
followed up by someone else saying, please, God, let me find these things out normally. I am begging you. Followed up by the person responding, if you go to the circus for news, don't complain if a clown tells it to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that is, sums it up. That is what TikTok is. That's what Tumblr, but like Tumblr to some extent, TikTok to a much larger extent, like it is this surreal, like Dada, like very unhinged humor because the world sucks and everything sucks. So like, why not find... You know, it's it's Chris Persons had a great t- tweet that was like, uh, doctor tells you that uh, you keep referring to objectively bad things as hilarious to cope with them because you can't handle them. And he responds like, LMAO, that fucking owns. <laughs> Just keep doing skull emojis to hide yeah. the pain. Skull yes. emojis. Yeah. Yep, that's yeah. it. I Upside mean- down face emojis. <laughs> Twitter loves to, uh, to serve me content telling me which emojis i shouldn't be using because i'm old these days use, oh, sorry use kids go to hell. here's no, the thing don't if you don't emojis. know why yeah like either don't use emojis or just use like three of them and just keep those in rotation i still use emoticons okay. never mind emojis I, I stopped using the laughing while crying because i was told that that aged me but now the skull uh, emoji is probably already out no what am the skull i gonna do never Skull's gonna be still out in. skull's still good Skull still, still, still okay. cool. I, I like upside down face emoji. That's my favorite. Um, what does I that like, mean to you? Like, like I'm smiling, but like everything's I'm like upside down. Inside. Like it, it is that like laughing through the the pain. That's like, like haha, this sucks. Really, for <laughs> yeah. me, uh, I would describe upside down face emoji as impish. Like really? I. I you know what? I think working with you, Eric, and working with Katie especially has really kind of tuned me into millennial the writing. The youngs. <laughs> especially with the the LOLs at the end of every sentence. I picked that up from you guys and it's like, oh, this is such a terrible habit. I Putting hate myself LMAO for this. LMAO at the end of like LMAO. every sentence. Yeah. Which... We're getting laid off, LMAO. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sides dead lol. <laughs> That's the entirety no. of Twitter this week. My Actually, one of my favorite things with an emoji that ever happened was uh, the day, Kat, that you announced, hey, we're having a meeting. And somehow we all knew this meeting was bad. And Mike only responded with a gun emoji. And that was, <laughs> yeah. that was perfect. Um, no, no. Upside yeah. down face is that. Um, skull Melty is face like, is good. Skull is usually either like I am dead from laughing or I am dead because I'm like burned out. That's like my burnout. That's emoji. my burned out one. Yeah. Uh, I like sweating, smiling because it's like, oh, sweating, a- smiling is a perfect Minnesota emoji. Yeah, I was like, because ha-ha, that is- my bad. Ha-ha, conveying, <laughs> conveying vague embarrassment over <laughs> sharing <laughs> your <laughs> opinion. Um, but I don't want to dwell too much longer on emojis. Uh, what I do want to ask is. Is there an RPG that implemented social media particularly well? Tokyo because... Mirage Sessions. Oh, tell me more. Um, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, the original one for Wii U, uh, had an actual, oh. like, you would use the the gamepad as your, like, uh, social interface. So you would get text messages and stuff to it while you were kind of walking around on the overworld, and you'd be able to be like, ooh, neat. And they would like kind of text back and forth and like talk back and forth. And you'd be like, oh, cool. Like, and that would be how you would open up, you know, new side quests or character quests and stuff like that. Uh, it really got the idea that even, yeah, you know, I like the Switch version. Switch is a great way to play it. But 
So think about the form factor, the same way that the world ends with you is very much about the form factor. Something about mm-hmm. the form factor of that specifically felt very, very much about Tokyo Mirage, but also this idea of second screen that we were just talking about earlier that like you are playing a game, but you have the second screen down here at all times. That is kind of like, you're not checking it all the time, but you know, you're walking, you're going from like, you know, somebody's house to the shop to buy more potions. So, you know, you're kind of just rolling along and you're kind of glancing down. You're like, Oh, look, they responded back. They sent me a little smiley face. Oh, look at that. Good Uh. job. Uh, I, I think that game captured that aspect of youth culture better than just about any other game I've seen attempt a phone or texting or anything like that. God knows better than cyberpunk. (laughs) Persona five thematically, a big part of it was social media. The fandom Mm. thieves, like Mm -hmm. getting big on social media. Of course, your Twitter messages that you get pop up messages, everything that was very, very heavily. Most of the communication that happens in the background Right. Like you right. are told about it secondhand by your fan site person. But most of the com- communication is through texting and that kind of thing. It's not like yeah. you're posting on social media or anything. Oh, I see yeah. what you mean. Yeah. But let me let me posit to you that that is actually an incredibly accurate portrayal of something that is becoming as big as the Phantom Thieves are. Because... Cat, when you talk to somebody about the social media for your site of, of work, you're not like, show me the unfiltered replies. Let's go. <laughs> you no, know, you're like, hey, how's that piece doing? What are people saying about it? You know, it's like you, you don't you don't get the un, you get the filtered. You get it from whoever is working on that. This what, I forgot what that kid's name, but he, he's the social media manager for the person uh, for, for oh, the I keep, him, I keep calling him Wolfchild because he's the Wolf moon child. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, my, something yeah. with an M. He's the he's my the social human. media intern for the Phantom Thieves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got to manage their Twitter. <laughs> if you want to talk about social media being implemented in weird ways to promote a game, uh, a JRPG in particular. I've said this before, but Xenoblade Chronicles 2, the whole reason they had that weird gotcha system was because of social media. They said people are going to share screenshots of their pulled blades on Twitter, whether to laugh at it or to say, hey, this is really cool. And that's what it did. And that actually helped bolster mm-hmm. the the traffic for the game a lot, apparently. Uh, dot Hack is a good one that Beware the Slimes just brought up in, in chat. This was like pre-social media, but absolutely captured what an MMO was like at the time. I remember that very distinctly that even as a single player game, it did feel like you were walking around in an MMO. Um, I need to go back to those games. I keep thinking about dot. Yeah. I keep thinking about dot hack for reasons. I won't one reason I won't talk about. Did you play them? So I watched the anime series and I know I rented at least one of them because I loved the anime series as a kid. Uh, It was I forgot what it aired on, like WB or something like that, but I really liked it. It was really cool. It was probably way above my head at the time, so I've been meaning to go back to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, okay, fourth. Okay, I'm, I'm reading. I'm reading everyone's replies about it. There's there the dot hack sickos are showing up. Thank you, Stars of Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I it's feel a like that, that it was. I, wanted I was to go a little. Back to. I feel like I was a little old. For dot hack because I think yeah, the I, I anime got got popular with teenage young teenagers while I was in college, mm. and then the one PS2 game came out after another, and there were so many right. of them. And I remember yeah. there was the anime, and I was like, 
well, this is an interesting phenomenon, but I am not super interested in it. So yeah, it was that interested in dot hack. It was background noise to me. It felt ahead of its time in a way because then years later you had Sword Art Online come out and that got super mm. popular uh, in a way that Dot Hack never really did. Even uh, worse than Dot Hack, like Sword Art Online was not that good. Right? No, Sao is real bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I don't like Sao. Uh, granted, there are a lot of Ooh, modern anime. I don't pandemonium like, but... size pandemonium Ooh. candidate. Ooh. An Sao game for pandemonium might be fun because uh, I have 2023, always been we need to figure out how we're going to actually do a pandemonium. Absolutely. In a way sure. that doesn't actually send us into the pandemonium, too. We, we all go we, crazy and Lord of the Flies on each other and start stabbing look, each other because we played we a bad game. deeply into the pandemonium, sometimes the pandemonium gazes back into us. What's the the, the movie uh, with the spaceship that goes to hell? Oh, uh, oh, you know what oh Event you Horizon? Know what talking about? Event Horizon. So it would be like the event horizon of RPG discourse yeah. where Eric would gouge out his eyes and be attacking us with a knife. Why do I have to gouge my eye? I don't want to gouge my eyes. Eric, like, you're the new one. You don't need the new eyes, Eric. That's why you gouge them out. Where you're going, you don't need them. Uh, <laughs> wow, this, this, I mean, Halloween is over, but this uh, podcast Halloween's is never over. over. On, on the direction. point of on the point of social media, I do think it is something that more devs are trying to toy with in games and create stuff around because I do think there are really cool concepts that you can use in an RPG for social media. Like obviously, like social media is about getting points. It's about making numbers go up. That's why we like Twitter. If you've ever had a viral tweet, and let me tell you, it feels good. You watch those yeah. numbers go up and you're like, yeah. Yeah, everybody loves my joke. Hideo Kojima retweeted <laughs> my video like of Mr. Fraggle Rock. <laughs> These fools like my joke. It's funny. I uh, I have a fairly, I was, by Twitter standards, I have a, a decent size account. But I, I don't, I've never really truly gone viral, I don't think. Like, it's, I don't know what that feels like. I've it's never weird. had like a 10K tweet. Uh, I think the best I've ever done is like 3,000, maybe. I think I've, I think got I've had one or, maybe one 10K tweet in my life. I've got one or two in the hundred thousands. Damn, son. <laughs> uh, I've had ones that people have made fan art of. That is the level that some of those wow. went to. And granted, those are all around Nintendo Directs. For some reason, like for a couple of years, I was able to always get a viral tweet out of a Nintendo Direct. And that's just because my brain is broken in a it's lot of ways. I, my secret to Twitter is that I don't actually tweet that much. Uh, mm, sometimes, mm -hmm. I bet if you looked at my Twitter stats, you would find that I would probably tweet at around 11 p.m., which is usually when I'm laying in bed and I was just kind of falling asleep and my brain will fire and I'll have an opinion. And I'll be like, I have an opinion. I'm going to share it on I, Twitter. It never goes yeah. well. Mine tend to be during the work day, so that's probably why they go off as everybody's just bored and looking at their phones. And then mm. I tweet something like, actually, no, I'm not going to read that one on the podcast. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, you know, like the Nintendo Direct stuff would always take off and stuff. And, and it, it's really just about like, it's really cool for a while and you watch those numbers go up. But then there's like this dread that sets in yeah i, I usually I, chicken out and mute to thread before it gets oh, once i get to the hundreds i'm done i mute threads all the time but like here's an example oh me too so, so back in 2018 uh when they revealed 
the Breath of the Wild sequel, which now we know is Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, I made a joke at the time. Everyone knows the famous Moon's Haunted meme, right? Like, oh, so, oh, you're back early. Moon's Haunted. What? Cox Gun gets in spaceship. Moon's Haunted. <laughs> like, uh, I did a joke about that where I was like, oh, Link, you're back early. And he's like, basement's haunted. <laughs> and Zelda's <laughs> like, what do you mean? And he's, Cox Gun gets back on Epona. Basement's haunted. <laughs> and I was like, this is funny. It'll be fun. People will laugh. Within an hour, my phone was unusable because of how many notifications were coming in from it and how many people were retweeting Wait, and fading do you, it. Do you get notifications from people retweeting and liking your posts? Yes. Whoa. Which is a problem. Okay. That would make my phone unusable. Well, is, that's that's the thing. And Kat, could I turn that off? Yes. Do Does the brain chemical go burr and make me feel good when I see it pop up? Yes, that's why I haven't turned it off. But uh, I had within an hour people accusing me of plagiarizing a joke because they just don't understand <laughs> what parody is. is or like the idea of repeating a popular joke a la you know the aristocrats or whatever like using a joke format to then tell your joke yeah They're like no oh, you plagiarize them give credit to the original and i was like this site's terrible this site sucks why does anyone get on here so i to bring it all back home that idea of numbers go up but suddenly there's a lot of downsides with it and, yeah. and ones you did not see before you got there could be really cool in an RPG. I think there's like a sense mm. that some people have about like social media is a facet of our life now. And role-playing games are about playing a role in, in life, you know, as a square Enix could, can maybe read up on a little bit. It's supposed to reflect life. And that could be really, really compelling given the right circumstances. But, um, still kind of waiting to see how devs figure that out again tokyo mirage is maybe like the best implementation i've seen but is there a video game that's about what it's like when you go viral in the bad way because that's a special hell where you literally have to delete the twitter app off your phone and it's still kind of spilling out into other things because people are chasing you to yell at you what if, what if it was like it, it's kind of like you've become the most powerful hero in the world right and you've got these huge stats and all that but now you can't walk five feet without getting hounded by some random battle some dude that wants to like fight you and be like i'm the next hero or <laughs> i think you're shit and stuff like that and then if you beat them in battle everyone else is like whoa why'd you do that what was that for what he's just a little guy and you beat You're him terrible <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and How dare like, you? no win situations where the only win is to not play that's a cool idea for an rpg there are some rpg devs i can think about there who do weird different style rpgs who could have a field day with this stuff and mm, mm. i'm pretty good at avoiding going viral in the bad way because i don't tweet for the most part the, the one time in recent memory in which I had a bad experience on Twitter was when I put up a job posting for a freelance oh, job. Oh, yes, that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. included the rate. Uh-huh. And a journalist responded with, uh, a journalist from Kotaku.com responded with, lol. 
uh, in that like that's very really harsh kind of way. I was like, yeah, oh, this isn't gonna go well. This isn't gonna go. And, that sinking feeling. Oh dear, is it too late to? And back then out? I created discourse, and then mm-hmm. people were making you, and then all the YouTubers came out and used that mm-hmm. as an opportunity to dunk on mm-hmm. everything. And being the main character sucks. It's terrible. Yeah. We did, however, we did, however, raise our rates after that. So. That was yeah. Nice. Some good comes out of it. Cosmic some effect, good suppose, did yeah. impact come out of that moment. People were like, "Are you okay, Cat? You doing fine?" I'm like, "I deleted Twitter off my phone and just, you know, muted all the threads. I'm fine." That's I'll the best way in to a couple do it. days. Y- you are stronger in ways. I have I have had nervous like full transparency on the pod because that's just the mood of the pod tonight. I've had full blown panic attacks when I've been the main character oh of Twitter God. before. Um, I'm so sorry. I mean, it's it's really it, it, it can be it, really intense. It. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. Um, it's some it's a years lot. ago. Yeah, like ten years ago, I was a quote unquote main character on Twitter, and it was just people continuing to be in my tweets for days afterward, mm-hmm. weeks mm-hmm. afterward, yelling at me still about mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, that previous article. It was not mm-hmm. a fun experience, and I don't blame you for like feeling really bad about it. So I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. Eric. No, it's it's I mean, look, am I like beyond it now? Have have I grown in some ways? Yeah. Is it still something that I dread every single day? Absolutely. Like, but it's just a facet of this line of work, I guess. Mm -hmm. But also, it is it is what Twitter for better and worse, like did encapsulate was the idea that, yes, you can shoot your ideas out into the void and the void will hear you. But the void can also respond to you. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it is. I, I don't Here's, think when we and, made the internet, we ever I conceived that. People are too public with their innermost thoughts on social media. I see people disclosing things on Twitter. I'm like, why would you share that mm-hmm. for yes. a mass audience? And not just, not just a mass audience. Like they have thousands of Twitter followers, thousands upon thousands of Twitter followers. And they're sharing the most personal stuff, stuff that I wouldn't tell like friends, like the yeah. closest friends. I feel or like, like yep. they'll be like, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm going to share all of that pain right now here on Twitter.com. And I'm like, <laughs> why would you do that? I, I promise I'm not laughing because of the pain. I'm laughing because I thought immediately when you said sharing the most private things they can, I remembered a tweet that was like, don't know why they call it a restroom because it was a battle in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's a starting point. Just don't tweet. That's what I'm saying. Oh, so man. maybe maybe Elon Musk is finally breaking us of our D- of our habit. So don't tweet or like I don't know. Don't become a public facing person. That's like maybe some of the best advice I can ever give somebody. But um, just shit post. That's my advice. There's some people who are just post. addicted. Just shit post. Yeah. There's some people who are just addicted to Twitter. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. There are some people like who are terminally online. They respond online. to everything. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There are a lot of people, I think, who develop unhealthy relationships with social media in general, like not even just Twitter, but like, I think the same thing happens with YouTube and, and Twitch and with Facebook. We've seen parasocial relationships. We've seen the way that people become embroiled in, in like making their whole world revolve around something else that exists online, you know, and, and what that has kind of done to us. And there are going to be wild studies in 20 years about, you know, what what the great expanse of the Internet has done to oh, us God. as people. Because yeah. 
I don't think expanding that interiority out to be like, I now exist twice. I have two lives. I have my life here in the real world. And I have the, the version of me that lives online and everybody has a different version of who that is and what that is in their head. And they all have opinions about it. And that is it's definitely changed the way oh. we communicate. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Both yeah. in the real world. And, you know, I was thinking about how, again, this is going to age me. I can't imagine being in high school, you know, right now. No. In a nope. world where you have multiple social lives. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how kids do it. Um, Bravo to you kids. I watch, have no idea. I, I cannot emphasize enough one of the best TV shows I've seen in the last decade, and I would put it up against Better Call Saul and all of that, uh, is American Vandal, because it talks about that in a way that pierces and really makes you reflect on what the change in social media has done to us as people. And yes, it is a show that's about like, who drew the dicks on the cars? But um, it, it is also about like, yeah, we we live lives online and in person and interpret them in so many different ways and have to be so many different things. And what has that done to us? And go watch American Vandal. Can't stress that enough. Netflix killed it early and, and I will never forgive them for it. But I don't want to linger on this topic too much longer. But Eric, <laughs> I mean, you've spent months playing Cyberpunk 2077 and talking yes. about it at length. How well, in your view, does it handle social media? Not well. And I think that's largely because of the limitations of what they did with the game. Uh, I actually think some of the post-launch stuff they did is really, really cool. Um, a lot of their post-launch updates were about giving companions like times that they would text you. So there's actually like a fantastic bit that I had as we as of this episode, Ken and I have finished our our cyberpunk season. We have recorded all of it. I think the last episode goes live in January 2023, but we recorded way ahead of time because we wanted to get it all in the hole. Um, and one of the text messages I was getting near the end of the game was about Judy and because my character, my V was dating Judy and Judy's mom was grilling me over text. And I was like, this is a very relatable moment. This is a very strong bit of writing that also like they used phones and text messaging to their advantage while writing this because of that feeling of you're talking to Judy. Oh, it's Judy's grandmother, by the way, Judy's grandmother. Uh, you're, you're talking to her and she kind of sends you a message and then waits a little bit and kind of like lets it linger and then sends like a one word message after that. And you're like, Oh, Oh, I'm feeling the sweats right now. And she's like, huh? Interesting. And you're like, ah, ah, <laughs> I said something <laughs> wrong. It's very, very good. And I, there is actually a side quest in cyberpunk that uses like old school BBS boards, kind of oh, like beauty. old school forum boards. Um, that I was like, this is really cool. But for a mixture of reasons, cyberpunk does not really have an internet to speak of and really just has texting and phone calls. So it feels very almost early two thousands as a video game, maybe like late nineties where you have a phone and the phone does phone things and then you have the computer and the computer does computer things, but those things don't talk to each other yet. We're not there yet as a society. And largely that's kind of where cyberpunk 2077 is. It just exists in that realm. So it weirdly makes me nostalgic in a way it mm -hmm. makes me want to toss this cell phone out and get like a Motorola razor and never go back. <laughs> <laughs> Mine had snake on it. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
I think that the single best uh, implementation of social media ever in a video game is uh, Selfie's website blogging and blog in Final Fantasy VIII. Mm. Oh, that mm-hmm. was very yeah, mm-hmm. that was very much mm-hmm. of its time, but kind of. Ahead I of loved its time. reading her live journal about the adventures of Squall and Company. Mm-hmm. That was very. And they <laughs> even made a TikTok of Zell choking on some hot dogs and dying. That's a good TikTok. That would that would do numbers. That's a good TikTok. <laughs> but they filmed. I remember. I know what you're talking about, Cap. That you're talking about the scene, the ending, right? But they filmed that on like an yeah. analog, like camcorder. Like, oh damn, there's something yeah. that's not going to happen ever Do I again. Need to play Final Fantasy VIII? Is that no, what I'm hearing? No, okay. dude, dude, it's no. so good. You would Parts love of it. it. Are really good, and it's uh, not actually that long. Getting mixed messages here. <laughs> you probably you like, you like breaking things, so you probably like well, it more than I did. I, I like Final Fantasy X and X2, and both of those things feel like, with that prior knowledge, I would like Final Fantasy VIII because they feel. I like VIII better than X. Uh, that's fair. That's your prerogative, you know. <laughs> we need to do a X2 Pantheon at some point. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. We, we need to do no. X2 at some point. Eric, go play Final Fantasy VIII. I demand it. Okay, I'll play um, eight. You play X2, and we'll, we'll reconvene. Okay, we'll make a deal. Like, I, I, I'll, I've played X2. You've you never play played VIII. I have played, played 10-2. I finished, I'm 100% at 10-2, sir. Oh, there is triple triad in eight. <laughs> oh, that's where triad. it came from. That's where the sickness came yeah. from. Our original topic. <laughs> yeah. somewhere, oh, shit. somewhere down at the bottom of the... Oh, right. Weren't we supposed to talk right. about Caravan no, and about... Gwent? <laughs> no, let's talk about what the emo- the different emojis mean. Well, I have let's to say, talk I about the topic's a bit more interesting. What emoji do we think Squall is? <laughs> <laughs> Anything with a frowny face. <laughs> Strong post show energy in this. If you ever want to know what the post show is like, um, yeah, yeah. this has been the longest post show we've ever had. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But now it's time for the autumn of the Avatar. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. And we are really in the thick of it. Uh, We are in book three... Episode 46, The Avatar and the Fire Lord, through episode 51, The Day of Black Sun, part two. Some very heavy, heavy episodes, big lore episodes in this one. I wasn't here for uh, last week's round of episodes. I don't think I've had a chance to talk at all about season three. So I want to share some initial thoughts. (laughs) Thought number one, Sad Iroh. Oh my god. Thought number two, stop making me like Sokka. 
season three. What do really? you do? Are you turning the corner? Maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> the, he, okay, so I promised a Zeppo reference. In the television <laughs> show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there's a character named Xander, and Xander mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. the everyman, much like Sokka. Right. And there's an episode called The Zeppo in which they kind of grapple with the fact that uh, Xander doesn't have any superpowers and mm. Buffy and friends do. And that this is this episode, except their solution was to give Sokka a sword, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I'm into. A meteor sword. Up. A meteor sword. <laughs> he got he his advanced himself. job class. And that, that kid just, uh, he just needs encouragement, a pat on a head. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. The look on his face when that master is telling him that he embodies like creativity mm-hmm. and intelligence and, you know, being able to move on your feet and come up with crazy ideas and everything. I'm like, all right, I have softened on softened on you for like 10 percent. I still think that it's weird that the show has decided that he can be a great leader. I would not think of Sokka as a great leader at all. Um Maybe I'm maybe maybe he, uh, maybe Sokka is, has ADD. Is this a, is this a thing maybe, with Sokka? Maybe um, like he's like actually smart, but he can't focus on anything. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess that's possible. My main problem, though, is that uh, Sokka like the thing that uh, Sokka was being built up as someone who, yeah, OK, he can't fight, but he has good ideas. He's a he thinks outside the box. He has engineering experience. Uh, but he still feels sad, so let's get him a really bitching ass sword. Like, okay, uh, he doesn't have to fight. And no, a hawk. He's, he's, for like and a hawk. Oh, hockey. hawk. I, don't, I don't think yeah, hockey's hockey. coming back. Is hockey coming back? <laughs> no. But this collection There's... of episodes does have Aka, Appa, you're in charge, which. Uh, that was funny. I, yeah. I, but... I adore. And then, <laughs> like, I, I was saying, Momo like... is just like, makes up, and the, the hawk goes, and yeah. Appa <laughs> makes its own noise. By the way, just bellows. battle armor Appa. Battle armor Appa, Hello. very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But like I was saying with Sokka and the sword, it's like, okay, he doesn't have to fight. Well, I guess he does because he's a he's a guy in a kid's cartoon. So whatever, we'll, we'll deal with that. But it's like, okay, you're always undermining Sokka being smart. Like the uh, perfect example being he came up with the submarines, right? But mm-hmm. then he shows like the design document, which is just like a literal like scribbly picture, like with the sun smiling, you know, that usual kindergarten stuff. And yeah, I understand they're playing it for laughs and it is kind of funny, but you're tearing down this character's buildup, like everything he's earned so you can make a stupid joke. And I find not to be old, although I am, I find that's like a problem with some the more modern kid stuff writing. Like we mm. have to have this off this obvious implementation of humor because hey kids otherwise you won't get it it's maybe it's a maybe it's just a problem that what's the beginning of the season had. three it was very strange because the first episode they reestablish it ang is sad and then while i was watching i was like it felt like they aged ang down and aged katara up and she was more mature and ang was like almost like a kindergartner. Like at some point he makes a joke about how he drew a picture of the fire Lord and he yells, here's a fire Lord picture of the that fire was Lord. Good. Spaghetti. That made me laugh. That made sense. Cause he was in it's school. A good joke. He's never been in school. Yeah. It's like, the, here's this here. He has the macaroni. The, the sound <laughs> effects funny. were back in full effect. Uh, That's wah, true. The sound effects are very wah, wah. a wide whistle. 
I do really like that episode because I think it emphasizes that like these are still kids and not just kids, but ones that have had their childhoods ripped away from them. So they do like when they get an opportunity to just be kids, they really do revel in it and they like have fun with it and they like kind of let their hair down in a way that they can't most of the other stuff, you know, when they're dealing with like the bloodbender. Oh my God. What an episode, that was a cool or, episode. Um, or, or stuff like that. Like they're dealing Blood with like bending. absolute horrors. And so they get like one I- episode where they get to do basically, um, a uh, footloose like it was a footloose episode yeah i forgot about that one <laughs> what is so yeah. messed up about bloodbending it's no worse than setting somebody on fire come on but it's, it's the, the natural, it's the water it's, it's the, the water in extension. the blood it's the natural extension it's the natural extension of i guess it's controlling it's controlling someone like taking yeah. them away yeah. from them is kind of and it's the because they said blood it has she, the word she blood didn't in want it, to why. learn bloodbending though and she was kind of forced upon her which i think mm-hmm. was kind of interesting i know that that ending to that episode always hits for me because it is that moment of like everyone else has had their advanced job class moment, yeah, right? Exactly. Like Toph has metal bended and Sokka gets a sick sword. And so Katara, you're like, oh, blood bending. That's what Katara is going to learn. That's sick. And then you realize how horrifying it is. And when she uses it, it is like deeply traumatic. And you're like, oh, <laughs> this is like not all bending is always necessarily good. And There's it's the, idea the evil of what, bending. What is too far in bending? That's, that's kind of what I like about that episode. There's one thing I've kind of noticed ha- having watched the, um, I'm sorry, were, were we supposed to watch like up to episode 10 or past episode 10? Uh, it should have been day we, of the black sun. So when the, they did the, the deep, when they stormed, the when they stormed the castle and all that. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, I've just kind of noticed that this series in general kind of comes from that, I wasn't watching a lot of cartoons at the time, but there was a point where I call it like maybe call it too bad at Sunday, where there's a whole bunch of action going on, a whole bunch of fighting, but nobody really dies. Uh, mm, nobody gets seriously yeah, hurt. Yeah. So G.I. Joe. Yeah. G.I. Joe. Not quite as bad as G.I. Joe, though, but there is Except definitely for his, consequences. Except for Jet. Jet dies. Jet dies. <laughs> Jet dies but he, that was, that's how you know it was a big, big deal because holy um, shit, someone I actually have, died. I have something I want to circle back on because number one, Please do not disregard my notes for this week because it is the Zuko show. Is the Zuko show? I'm going to read Zuko's notes. Or sorry, Zuko, Zuko's yeah. notes. Eric's notes. Zuko, all caps. Redemption time, Zuko. Let's fucking go, all caps. Who cares what happened to anyone else in these episodes? It's a Zuko show, baby. All caps. Are the things that happen? There's a super cool siege. Some submarines. Mm-hmm. Blood bending. All caps. Mm-hmm. And a flashback to Roku and Sozin's past that owned. By the way, mm-hmm. I actually mm-hmm. really enjoyed that, that episode. That was a great that episode. A episode. That's a fantastic yeah. episode, yeah. I, I liked watching Sozin and the... I, I liked a, watching a full-powered avatar. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like watching Sephiroth when he's using level three magic. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, that's what a fully-powered avatar can do. That's pretty... He's literally fighting a volcano. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. pretty metal, I gotta but... say. My final note, importantly, but come on, we are spending the entire allotted time on Zuko. Did you see him bend the lightning just like Iroh taught him? That was was good. That was one of the most baller shots I've seen in the entire series to date. That was great. It's so good. Phenomenal. Have you noticed who who the voice of Ozai is by now? Yes. And I really realized it once it got a little more high pitched. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like he, he started to get worked up. Yep, yep, that's him. That's him. The one, the only Mark Hamill in his <laughs> Iron like Lord Ozai. Of course. Yeah. Of course. 
they had a beach episode. Oh, the beach episode is a favorite of mine. I love the beach episode. The beach episode. I was like going, really? They're doing a beach episode? But by the end, I'm like, they did a beach episode. And I think I had been kind of complaining that Azula and her her gaggle, uh, Mm -hmm. her, her girl crew, didn't really get a lot of development. They got a lot of development, actually. And mm-hmm. most of the season, uh, Zuko's relationship with May, is that her name? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was an interesting turn. Uh, as I already mentioned, we had Sad Iroh and then Built. Built Iroh. Oh, Iroh. Stacked Iroh. Iroh stacked getting Iroh. yoked in jail. You love to see it. <laughs> Him doing the one-armed pull-ups and stuff. Oh my God. Iroh. But I like Batman says brick shit house Iroh. That's what it is. <laughs> the the pacing in this show can be a little weird, especially at the beginning of a given season, because they'll go into Monster of the Week territory pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But oh my god, when they get to Day of the Black Sun, first of all, I mean the episode that came before it wasn't my favorite. The one where Aang is having With all the, the nightmares. nightmares. Yeah, it's a weak part. Yeah, yeah, but. I do like a good. I do like an episode that comes before the big climax where they're worrying about it and having mm. conversations. Um, but then they did the JRPG thing. It's such a JRPG thing to have all the friends come back mm. and have mm-hmm. them be like, mm-hmm. "We will fight and use our powers to the best of our abilities." And then you the getting to see them. Here. <laughs> they even brought back those rednecks from the swamp. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who then get freaking torpedoed <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right they're oh okay folks it was Sunday. are the swamp betters, benders dead who can say who can say <laughs> who can say they have, like, no they aren't they can't they, they poke their heads out of the the weeds after that oh, the okay, fire nation has the b-52s bombing the submarines and everything <laughs> they've got the kirovs from command and conquer red alert 2 they're just like rolling out <laughs> <laughs> those are really th- those tanks they have are really cool yeah. Uh, I mean, I gotta say, Azula played them perfectly. They're not particularly mature, and she got Sokka without even having to try very hard, mm-hmm, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it was as soon as they lost their window of opportunity, and you see Ozai's eye pipe pop open, and he's like, ha ha, mm-hmm. and he does the full lightning blast right at yeah. Azula being like, oh, we're bending again. Yeah. Oh, hey, <laughs> this is on again. I like how competent the villains are in this show, mm-hmm. I think I've already said. And I thought that we were going to get a really good fight with Azula. I mean, she sent out her mini bosses. It felt like a felt like a, a dis three or a late dis two boss battle for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Azula. it is um, Final Fantasy X when you fight Seymour in the Makalania temple and he's sending out his little guado henchman and he's standing there laughing he brings out anima and all that it's that fight it's that fight to a t uh it's it's fantastic uh we are we are like in the thick of it i think it's really cool that this ends with the whole build-up to this point has been the eclipse right they're like the eclipse strikes and they're gonna take out ozai and they're gonna win the day yeah in three tanks but those in fairness are very strong tanks practically invincible and i guess when you have you know, a dozen people, but they all have superpowers. That's a pretty mm-hmm. formidable army. <laughs> so now, now we're in the real Return of the Jedi moment, the all is lost moment. Um, how do we regroup? And we Zuko, already had one. We we lost bossing. Say we doubled down. We failed again against Ozai. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Zuko's flipping teams. 
Zuko's coming over. He's on the balloon. I called it. I called it. I called it. I also love that. Um, I was like, boy, I love that Zuko's hair is the only one that changes. They must be all doing their hair off camera. And then Aang wakes up with hair uh, <laughs> and spends the first half of the season with hair. Wasn't my favorite look for him. I liked Katara's hair a lot, mm, actually. Mm-hmm. Her her whole Fire Nation outfit. Yeah. Katara's got Fire Nation looks for sure. She's got um, Fire Nation looks. I I liked I liked the moment when Aang shaves the head. Yeah, and prepare, and puts on yeah. the Avatar outfit again. Yeah, You're like, all right, it's on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're heading to the wa- Western Air Temple, and it makes me think about how the uh, the water benders, the water, fire, and earth have gotten so much development. We know next to nothing about the air side, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of hopeful that I'm sure we're going to have a little bit of downtime. I'm sure that Zuko is going to show up, and they're going to have some uncom- discomfort shall we say over it but mm, um, mm-hmm, i'm kind of mm-hmm. hopeful that in in when ang goes to the western air temple that we get more development for the airbenders because i aside from them being monks and, and wanderers i sort of feel like i know almost nothing about them it's because i mean they're all dead that's the problem <laughs> it's yeah. like How ang's the only one dead. yeah so it's it's difficult we um, had flashbacks very early on to his mm-hmm. childhood and what it was like and he was Buddhist monks that, that, and he was living idyllic. were cute. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. that's adorable. Um, and, and I say once again, Appa in battle armor. Battle Appa. Mm-hmm. Battle Where did they Appa. get that? Like, I know he that was, was talking about else. buying Sokka, battle armor. Sokka for... was working on it throughout that whole nightmare episode, I think. So you keep uh, seeing him, like, working on it throughout it, yeah. Wow. Uh, yes, it was It was DLC. Kalal was right. That was a pre-order <laughs> bonus. Um, <laughs> I do also, again... It's the Zuko. It's the Zuko hour. I got to shout out the line that he has at I forget which episode it is. I think it is the nightmare episode because it's right before Day of the Black Sun where he gets invited to the war meeting and he's like, dad invited me. He held up the meeting just to have me sit there. And then you see afterwards, you see him standing there looking at the portrait and May walks up to him and she's like, how'd it go? How was it? And he was like, there's everything I wanted. I was sitting there. I participated. My dad was proud of me. I was the perfect prince, but I wasn't me. And I was like, oh, oh, that's that's the moment. That's the twist. I love that the moment that Zuko realizes that he no longer wants to be a part of the Fire Nation is when he gets everything he's wanted and he is in the place that he has been aiming for forever. And he realizes that he wants none of it. It's oh, it's so good. I love the show. It went in a slightly different direction than I was expecting. Like when Ozai was like, I'm proud of you, son. In that extremely toxic kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have more or less fulfilled my, you have fulfilled my expectations in the ways that I have set them out. And therefore, by my standards, you are acceptable. Welcome home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't exactly approval. Right, right. He doesn't, he doesn't want Zuko to be like good at, what Zuko is, right? Like he, he doesn't want Zuko to be Zuko. whole. He never calls him Zuko. He's always like Prince Zuko and never. He doesn't want, he wants, he wants that picturesque little prince to sit next to him. He wants his like perception of family power. What Azula gives him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and like Zuko kind of realizes that he's just an ornament to his dad. You know, he's just a thing and he has no actual sentimental value. 
And then his dad tries to pull the, don't you want to know how your mother died? <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and you find out, Hey, she might not be dead. Um, it's, it's gasp little, little, little drop there. But, uh, yeah, God, just so many good Zuko moments. Zuko really? and Iroh. Z- Iroh explaining to Zuko why he showed him the the scrolls and all that and about like the war raging within him because one of his great-grandparents was Sozin, but another one was Avatar Roku. So like technically related to Aang, who's to say weirdness there? But um, God, yeah, incredible batch episodes. I love, I love book three. It's so good. Really strong set of episodes. Uh, I think they're all pretty, pretty great in their their own way. But I'm secretly, kind of a big fan of Avatar and the Fire Lord, just because of mm-hmm. how much it contextualizes mm-hmm. the world of. I, I like a good world building episode. So, uh, so what's next, Eric? What are we watching next? We are starting on episode fifty-two, which is the Western Air Temple. We will conclude with episode 55, The Boiling Rock Part 2, another two-parter. Who's to say what drama will transpire in The Boiling Rock? And if you haven't already, go check out our wrap-up episode of Book 2. We also did Book 1, in which we hit all of the plot points and everything and talk through our MVPs for uh, the season. And uh, yeah, our our overall thoughts, favorite episodes, that kind of thing. Mm. Okay. Nadia, take us home. Uh, well, I was actually going to talk about Mega Man X Command Mission and how its battle system, like, even though the game itself was not great, its battle system was Final Fantasy X by way of the Breath of Fire five team and I look back now and I say holy crap that's a great thing we kind of lost wasn't mm-hmm. it but mm-hmm. I'll say that for another time so I just got inspiration hit since we didn't really get to talk about like <laughs> no. games in <laughs> RPGs as much as we wanted to like I just wanted to talk a little bit about board games and certain ones I hated uh, because when I was a kid yes we had video games but they were mm-hmm. expensive and our parents were really really uppity about screen time so they usually kick us Mm -hmm. out of the house to go play on summer go die in the heat we don't care one thing i used to do Mm -hmm. is i'd go to garage sales around my neighborhood and i'd buy board games and like a few of the neighborhood kids would come over and we'd like you know play them in our garage or whatever and did you this is definitely going to date me did anyone ever play teacher's quiz no teacher's quiz teacher's quiz it was basically a a trivia game for kids and it was like trivial pursuit Almost. It's like, for example, like one of the questions, and I remember this vividly, uh, someone got the question, what did the third little piggy build his house out of? And someone answered aluminum foil because it was such a stupidly obvious answer that they just got so offended. <laughs> they said tin foil. <laughs> but I'm also thinking about like, I-, I bought Operation, and these are all secondhand by mm, the way, moldy mm-hmm, ass, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. nasty games, probably covered in cat hair. And Operation got ruined because the kid I was playing with buzzed with the Adam's apple. And so he gets really mad. He takes a bunch of the pieces and throws them into my mother's flower garden. I never see them again. (laughs) (laughs) Not the bread basket. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was mostly, it was the Adam's apple was the one I remember most. It was a stupid apple and he threw it in there. 
That one was hard. Yeah. Yeah. I my mom was that. unhappy with a bunch of like plastic pieces in her uh, flower garden that were never really all fully retrieved. <laughs> I hated the game of life because my grandmother had that game. For some reason, she expected yeah. my brother and I to sit there and play that piece of crap. And I used to just kind of sit there and I would take like little people. You had these little plastic people that you put into the plastic cars. I'd chew on them because it was like something to do while I was playing this piece of crap game. And they, they would kind of turn really freaky if you chewed on them. Mm-hmm. But we had to play that. <laughs> we hell, played Hellraiser car full of chewed plastic pieces. <laughs> and it was such size to masticate with you. Uh, did you? Uh, we played. Um, maybe this is a no. This can't be Canadian, or this is got to be a worldwide game. Mealborn. Do you ever play Mealborn? What, what is that? It's a card game. It's a uh, kind of a picture card game. So I guess not. It was one of my family played a lot. My family was definitely a rummy family, though. We were a good oh, Hungarian rummy oh, family. Yeah, we and played I a lot of Liverpool rummy. rummy. Yeah. And 14 card rummy is very hard when you're a little girl with a very small hand. But I tried my best and usually lost. Um, how did how did your rummy go? Was it kind of like the the one where you do like two sets, run, like, and you had like different hands and you get scored on points each time? I think so. It was it's a very, very long time since I played. Yeah, I played a lot of Liverpool rummy growing up, which I know is like a variation of rummy. Oh, no, but... we, my grandparents played like some Hungarian version of rummy. I don't even know. Yeah, I, I don't even know where my my grandma was the one who taught all of us. And I don't know where she learned it, but we used to play it pretty much every family gathering. And that was always really hard as a kid because it had the the option of, you know, you have to discard a card and either mm-hmm. and, and draw. Right. Well, you, you draw and then you discard. And then someone else down the line was allowed to buy a card. So say like you put a nine down and say, I'll I'll buy that. And if you buy it, that means you take the card and then you take an extra card with it. And at the end of the game, if you have not cleared your hand, that's extra points. And whoever has lowest points wins. Right. Um, So it would always turn into a thing where um, because of the rules, it was, you know, clockwise from the dealer, whoever bought. So if, two people down wanted to buy and then the person in front of them said, no, I want that. It would, they'd get it, but it would turn into this thing where (laughs) someone would be like, even as a kid, I'd be like, I'll buy that. And then like my aunt or somebody would be like, nope. And just slam their hand on the card and take it. (laughs) My family took that game very seriously. Yeah. Same with mine. (laughs) It was Monopoly for our family. Monopoly is boring. It got nasty. I know. I know. But Mm. I had a boring family. And those games went on for hours. My father, yeah, that's the thing. My father would play with us up to a certain point. Then he'd get bored, and he'd pretend to sneeze and like go a chew and like just like kind of shove everything off the board and say, "Oh well, you win." So that's usually how our our games of Monopoly ended. My brother and I used to play Monopoly. We'd deal out the properties, which is completely (laughs) just like goes against the point of the game, but it got Mm -hmm. things over with really quickly. Like if you just want to play a half hour game of Monopoly, there you go. Uh, My friend's dad. We, my family was really good friends with another family when we were growing up and my friend's dad would play and he would, um, if you couldn't pay, if you landed on his spot, he'd say, that's fine. You don't got to pay me now. Just every time somebody lands on one of your spots, I want you to give me a little bit of your money. Just give me some of your cash. And, and, and then I won't bankrupt you. You can stay in the game. Yeah. Oh my Lord. (laughs) No one could beat this man at the game of Monopoly. (laughs) It was, he understood the assignment haunted. And look, he's, he does quite well for himself nowadays. Like I understand why his brain works that way. And he was quite good at Monopoly. So more power to him, but 
as a young child, I learned really quick about how money worked <laughs> because of Monopoly. <laughs> Gotta learn Dark. somehow. And if a, fa- yeah. a merciful family member or half merciful anyway is probably the best way to learn. Uh, of course, I always did you steal like the... from the bank in Monopoly? Was that was that allowed? I did not steal from the bank. No, oh, I stole from the bank. <laughs> <laughs> did, and nobody I... noticed you were stealing from the bank. No, you just got to the banker, reasons. but you're just embezzling. No, no, you don't you're be the banker. Embezzled. The banker is who they think is bank is stealing from the bank. You got to invent reasons for everyone to just look away for a little bit, and then you just kind of <laughs> slide on over there and grab grab a little money out. Not a lot, though. You can't be too much. No, you can't be greedy. Then they're like, no, why do you have? No, no, we just no. started the game. Why do you have five $500 bills? Yeah, yeah. If you're sitting there with like all those, but you know, you get a couple tens, a couple twenties out of there and just yeah. kind of sift them out, you know, we'll just give off the whoop. top. Yep, yep. No one, victimless crime. No one gets hurt. <laughs> just like uh, office, office it's, space. Uh, it, it's Patrick Swayze up on the, the bank tellers yelling, this is the bank's money. It's insured. All of your money is good. We're stealing from the corporations. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a crook. <laughs> and on that note, that is the end of this week's episode of Axel Plug God. Thank you so much for listening to this very chaotic episode. I have been your host, uh, Kat Bailey. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore Catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Eric is at CMOOSI, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. We're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash pod, where we have a lot of special content. It's also the home of our stars of destiny and joining us this week for our live recording and bless them for sticking with us through this, uh, <laughs> the, the twists and turns of this one. Yes. This has been uh, one. Beware the slimes, Darren, dear drew, RWX, EJ, Eric, Cal L mango, alts, Ruka teeps. The black stones, our latest arch sorcerer at the hundred dollar hey. level. That means that they get Welcome. to be, on the show at some point uh welcome and thank you so much for your generous support blackstones and zubat man we're gonna be heading on to the post show where uh, i mean if this is the the main show god knows what blood god after dark is going to be like so stick around everybody but until then for eric Nadia and myself thanks so much for listening and happy adventuring so we know that-